Church, it's good to be back with you this morning. It's kind of good to get back into a rhythm after the holidays have passed. And if you will, take your Bible, please, and, and meet me in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. This morning, we begin a brief three-part series on community. As we launch into another year, I, along with our elders and staff, want to emphasize the, emphasize the importance of, I should say just re-emphasize the importance of true Christian community. And we also want to Uh, include or make known some specific steps we aim to take in the coming months in this regard as God has impressed them upon us. In fact, the three parts of this series are the three main points to be presented at our directional meeting on Sunday, January 29th. And they are as follows. A community in community a community in prayer and a community on mission. So I have been encouraged by our staff, by Lauren specifically, to encourage you to take notes during these next three Sundays so that you can reflect on the biblical texts yourself and the points being made in preparation for our meeting on the 29th. And there is, of course, a note page in your bulletin if you need one. I want to make some general comments. General Relationships in the church, in any church, are often or easily misunderstood or undervalued. Some view the church as a one-stop market that exists to provide for their many wants or needs, kind of like the spiritual version of their local Costco complete with a no-questions-asked policy when they decide to move on. Others seem to value relationship, but their insistence on mechanical, program-driven models appear more concerned with doing than being, and thus hinders any real progress. And I contend that both examples, the consumer on one hand and the formulist on the other, equally miss the mark and the church suffers because of it. But there is another way, another road toward healthier churches and church members, the way of true community. Those who walk this path are noticeably different, Marked by many meaningful relationships in the church, they are learning to walk with Christ in the context of their Christian community, and the benefits are obvious as they continually lead lives of growing contentment and holiness and centeredness in the gospel. So what is biblical community and how does it look? How can we encourage even greater community in our church? And where do we learn community? The Bible, of course, and the New Testament in particular, is just chock full of teaching on the subject. And one term frequently used to describe it is the word fellowship or koinonia, as it appears in the original language. And the first place where the word koinonia appears, not surprisingly, is 
is in the beginning chapters of Acts where we find the very beginnings of the church itself. My purpose for this series is to consider the koinonia of the early church and its application for our church today. And I want to use the last paragraph of Acts chapter 2 as a guide, taking a bird's eye view of this passage, returning to it often over the next few weeks while considering other related passages also. And my goal is just this, to strengthen authentic biblical community in our church by building meaningful connection and cohesion between church members and ministries. Okay? To strengthen authentic biblical community in our church and to build meaningful connection and cohesion among our church members and ministries. Today we'll consider three things. The biblical foundations of Christian community. How we at East Parkway can continue cultivating such community. And specific ways you can strengthen and contribute to the community here in our church. So let's... Read this passage together. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for the church. What a gift you have given us that we are, that not only do you walk with us, promising never to leave or forsake us, but that you surround us with like minded men and women, brothers and sisters in the Lord, who similarly walk with us and us with them. Encouraging, even cheering one another on in our pursuit of Christ. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the for each and every member of this church, each person who calls this church their church home. I thank you for every person. Uh, assembled here this morning. I thank you for the work you are uh, perfecting in each life. I thank you for even your common grace and your specific grace that is uh, being applied to each life. I thank you for the way in which you use uh, various the various circumstances of life to to uh, necessarily and wonderfully uh, conform and transform us more and more into the likeness of Christ that we would display and, and magnify and project the, the image of God, the divine and beautiful and winsome image of God in which we ourselves were created. 
I pray, I pray and thank you for the many uh, relationships shared in this church. I thank you for the, the, the interconnectedness between us. And we simply pray this morning that as we come to your word and learn from the example of another church, the early church, that we might more closely resemble what you have in mind for true community. So give me grace even now to to preach and teach accurately, true to your word, faithfully, with conviction and, and proper passion. Give each one of us, give these my brothers and sisters ears to hear your voice. Give us, uh, give us a desire to receive your truth and Will you speak to us and reveal to us those specific areas of our lives where there may be room for growth? And then help us to grow. So we just look to you now, once again. Thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. So the passage begins in a spirit of of devotion. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They were devoted to apostolic teaching because the apostles had walked with Jesus and knew Jesus firsthand, And the people, having already placed their faith in Jesus, wanted to learn more about Jesus so that they could walk more closely with Jesus themselves. And they were devoted to the breaking of bread, we're told, likely referring to the sharing of the Lord's Supper and even to just sharing meals in each other's homes. Because gathering around the table to share a meal pictures Christian community beautifully. They were devoted to the prayers. Not just prayers in general, but, but the prayers. Apparently there were common prayers and prayer gatherings to which the believers were committed. I want to touch on then this again next week. But today, however, notice how they were devoted to the fellowship. Again, not just the act of fellowshipping, but to the fellowship itself. They had become part of something much bigger than themselves. A new community. The church of Jesus Christ. And as the New Testament unfolds, we find three key metaphors that describe the church and those who are part of it. In 1 Peter 2, the church is seen as one temple of many stones. In 1 Corinthians 12, it is one body of many parts. And in 1 Timothy 3, it is one family of many members. And each of these provide helpful pictures, and together they image a community united in Christ. So Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, you may write this down, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. And here we notice <coughs> that the church's Relation, we notice the church's relation to Jesus is marked by the words, as you come to him. There is no church apart from Jesus because the church consists only of those persons who have come to place their faith in Jesus. When a person trusts Christ in this way, their identity becomes rooted in his. 
And as he is called a living stone, all who come to him become living stones as well. Not isolated or independent stones, but stones divinely placed one by one, one person at a time as each comes to Christ. One stone on top of the other and next to the other, each stone essential to the well-being of the whole. Each supports the other and together they form one structure, we're told, a spiritual house consisting of individuals who have come into relationship with God and are therefore united by God for relationship with each other. And this theme continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul speaks of one body of many parts. Just as the body is one and has many members, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, so it is with Christ. The human body is marvelously, marvelously composed And the uh, individual parts of the body are uniquely designed by God to function in unison for the betterment of the whole. And so so has the church been divinely designed to function with similar interrelatedness. God gives to each member specific abilities, but the abilities profit the body only as they function together. If the whole body were an eye, Paul asks rhetorically, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Or if all were a single member, if it was just about ears and and eyes and legs and arms, where would the body be? The church is not a random collection of people any more than the body is a random collection of parts. God intends the members to come together for a purpose greater than that which any one member can achieve alone. And not only are we pictured as one temple of many stones and one body of many parts, but also one family of many members. So we find in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Regarding the church and the city of Ephesus, Paul referring to the household of God, which is merely a way of speaking about God's family. In fact, family language is common in this letter as the aged apostle instructs his young pastoral protege on how to relate with others in the congregation. Do not rebuke an older man, he says, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, treat older women like mothers, treat younger women like sisters in all purity. So we have fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters. Paul is describing the church in familial terms. And once again, though believers are saved to Christ individually, Individualism was never his intent. Instead, those who are born again are born into the family of God. One temple of many stones, one body of many parts, one family of many members. Each metaphor speaks to what God has accomplished and intends for his people. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it in his classic work, Life Together. Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality already created by God in Christ in which we must participate. Now, most churches and church members when presented with these things, will quickly affirm the biblical model. I suspect that 
Not a one of you has any disagreement with what God has said here. But I contend that a disconnect still remains, particularly in our day when we value individualism and independence and autonomy almost at all costs. What's needed then, if we are to truly participate in this spiritual community created by God, is a sizable shift in our paradigm or a wholesale reorientation of our worldview, as Joseph Hellerman puts it, and a key aspect of that reorientation must involve the mutual interdependence that characterized New Testament Christianity. Are you with me? So the question becomes, how can we at East Parkway help turn the tide against today's individualistic approach to church while cultivating the biblical model instead? That's essentially the question we've been asking. And I have three proposed answers for the coming year. Again, the question, how can we at East Parkway help turn the tide? We, not me, alone. How can we at East Parkway help turn the tide against today's individualistic approach to church while cultivating the biblical model instead? And and I'm proposing three answers for the coming year. We're talking about this on our leadership levels, elders and staff, and the first is this. We want to encourage church membership and a member's covenant. We want to encourage church membership and a member's covenant. Historically, we have not had formal membership here at East Parkway. I know this was discussed by previous leadership My understanding, I don't claim to to know it all, all that was said and done, but my understanding is that some favored the idea while while others weren't sure, and so the issue was tabled and eventually forgotten. I want you to know I believe in church membership, at least in a simplified form. And we've renewed this conversation on, uh, on this issue at the elder and staff levels twice now when traveling. I've just happened to come upon a, 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 a membership service at another church I was visiting on that particular Sunday. And I must say, to see and hear the members of that church welcome new members, and then to watch all members stand together in the service to covenant together spoke volumes about their devotion to Christ, to one another, and to the genuine koinonia they were excited to experience as a local congregation. I don't know yet how this will look. We don't know yet exactly how this will look. We're talking We're researching, I'm talking with other pastors and other churches, but at some point this year, we want to teach on membership, the basic fundamentals of what being a healthy church member entails, and we will, of course, invite and encourage your participation in the process for the purpose of clear communication and mutual understanding. And then for those who so desire, who who complete the process and want to voice their commitment, we want to set aside a Sunday on which we can stand together in a morning service to declare our faith in the Lord and our devotion to the fellowship here at East Parkway. I love this church. 
And I am devoted to this church. And I want to give you opportunity to voice your love and devotion as well. And so we will encourage church membership and a member's covenant. Number two. We want to identify and encourage the use of your spiritual gifts. We want to identify and encourage the use of your spiritual gifts. I need to take a quick aside here. This week's staff meeting, Lauren made such a a true and necessary statement that I just want to pass on to you. You, 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 Maybe you've heard about kind of the 80-20 rule, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And Lauren said, you know what's wonderful is we've inverted that. We've reversed it. We've got 80%. I don't know the exact. We've got 80% at least who are actively involved in some way in the ministry of this church. And I don't know if if there's a place to say, way to go, church. Job well done. Pat on the back. That's what I want to say. Way to go, church. Job well done. Pats on the back. I mean that. In that same staff meeting, Andre led a brief devotion from Ephesians 4 where we find these words. He, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The basic idea here is that Jesus intends all members of His church to be participating ministers in His church because the Holy Spirit has given to each and every Christian believer, without exception, certain gifts to be used in service uh, to one another. And therefore, we want to encourage the use of your gifts, which means we must identify the gifts and the areas in which those gifts can be set free to flourish. I just finished reading a book co-authored by Pastor Alistair Begg and his pastor and mentor, uh, Derek Prime. And in it, they state the following, Every Christian has a function in the body of Christ and unique service to perform for the good of other members of God's family. The shepherds and teachers' task is to fit every believer to fulfill his or her God-ordained place in Christ's body. They are to help Christians first discern their gifts and then to use them. That's what I'm getting at. In his new guidebook for pastors, Mac Brunson gets right to the point when saying, fellowship problems occur in a church when members are not taught to discover and function according to their spiritual gifts. Some churches, though, some churches shy away from spiritual gifts, probably, probably because of the abuse or misapplication of gifts in other churches or denominations. The Bible is clear that spiritual gifts are to be recognized and celebrated because, indeed, they are gifts from the Holy Spirit. I mean, if I, if I were to give you a gift that was guaranteed to enrich the lives of those around you and therefore enrich your life too, wouldn't you want to know more about that gift? what it is and what it's intended for and how it can be used more effectively. So how much more then to know that you have been given gifts by God for this very purpose? We will teach on spiritual gifts 
because we want to encourage you in this area, helping to identify and use those abilities God has given you for building up the body of Christ, which you're already doing so well. Number three. We want to encourage more participation in midweek fellowship. Returning to our passage in Acts 2, we read in verse 46, And day by day the believers were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. In other words, they came together regularly in a large group at the temple while also meeting in smaller home-based groups throughout the week. At our church, these midweek opportunities might include a prayer group, a ministry team meeting, or a small group Bible study. We've been emphasizing life groups over, uh, for over a year now. As you know, other churches, we call them life groups. Other churches call them home groups or cell groups or even community groups, whatever, because churches everywhere understand the importance of building meaningful relationships among church members, and it's hard to build those, remem- those relationships on the occasional Sunday morning only. We'd like to add more, more studies, more ministry opportunities, and at least two additional life groups this year including one that is deliberately missional or outreach-oriented, which I'll explain later in this series. Currently, we have life groups meeting in Granite Bay and Fair Oaks and Roseville uh, and Rockland. We'd love to plant others in Orangeville or Citrus Heights or Lincoln or Folsom or El Dorado Hills, wherever. We want to cultivate a desire for multiplying, multiplication within our groups so that over time, one group can can effectively plant another in order to reach other people in other geographical locations. In our Young Marrieds group, for instance, we've decided this year to share our teaching responsibilities partly because I don't have the time to prepare I once did, but equally because I want to give future leaders the opportunity to lead now so that in a year or two, we, God willing, will be positioned to launch into another group or two. I'm praying for a person. We're praying for a person to serve as a life group coordinator. Someone to coordinate, encourage, pray with, and resource our life groups and life group leaders. Someone who, in effect, maintains the necessary connection between our groups so that the groups themselves don't become detached from each other or the church as a whole. And I just wonder, might there be someone in this room this morning hearing these words now who would want to answer that call? Talk with me. Let's plan and pray together. So we want to clarify church membership, identify and deploy spiritual gifts, and bolster midweek opportunities What can you do? And how can you be involved? And there are numbers of ways to answer that question. But I have just three very simple applications. And I'll close with this. Although I don't want to When I say I'll close with this, we're probably still 15 minutes away. (laughs) But three, this is my final point, but within this point, there are three points to be made. (laughs) Simple things. 
important things. And the first is this. Make church attendance a priority. And you're here. So maybe I'm speaking to the wrong crowd. (laughs) Make church attendance a priority. Unfortunately, in today's world, going to church is becoming increasingly optional. It's not good. Even among Christians, Sunday mornings are no longer unequivocally set aside for the corporate worship of God. Hobbies, travel, sports, work, or even just sleeping in now consume places in our weekend schedules they previously did not. And of course, of course, things come up occasionally that may keep you from attending church on a given Sunday. And of course, of course, there are unforeseen circumstances we all face that may cause an unwanted change to your schedule. I get that. I'm, I'm, of course. And of course, church attendance itself is never the goal. Attendance for attendance sake is never the goal. But attendance is a sign of something deeper. Even companies like Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby recognize that Sundays are for church. They're special. They're unique. Sometimes I leave church on a Sunday afternoon and I want a Chick-fil-A as I pass by. And I remember... Thank you, Chick-fil-A, for setting such a great example. Don't miss out on the grace. Don't miss out on the grace God brings as we meet each Sunday. You have, I have, we all have 168 hours to allocate each week. I'm asking you to just devote at least two to church on Sunday mornings. Number two. Continue in fellowship during the week. Make Sunday morning church attendance a priority. Continue in fellowship during the week. As vital as Sundays are, and they are, they are inherently different than the rest of the week, and therefore our gatherings throughout the week have slightly different aims to meet slightly different needs. Sundays are mostly vertical in nature in that we come to praise and seek God through song and prayer and the systematic uh, teaching of His Word and by sharing in the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper together, which serve to remind us of who God is and what God has done. Midweek fellowship, however, is largely horizontal. We still gather to praise and seek God, absolutely, but we do so for the purpose of ongoing relationship and personal application. We, we check in with each other to see how we're doing. How's the family? How are things at work or school? How can I encourage you and pray for you? And and the same is true. Here's what's going on in my life. And, And then how is our Christian faith working itself out in the everydayness of life? Just by the very nature of the Sunday morning service, we don't have a lot of time for that on Sunday mornings. And so the midweek opportunities become that much 
more important. Whether it's a Bible study or just a conversation in the local coffee shop, the point is to avail ourselves to one another in smaller groups until we can all gather again on Sunday mornings. And I I want to address... I want to try to anticipate your response because it's my response. And it's the response I've heard from a number of folks. It's a very common response. And that has, that, that's simply the, the response that we're too busy. We're too busy. And I want you to know that I understand that. And I don't want to disregard that. I don't want to in, in, sin, in any ways feel like for you to feel that I'm like disparaging your schedule. Um, I, I hesitate to say this, but I say it because I, I want it to be an encouragement for you. Um, Sally and I have five children. Attending three different schools. High school, middle school, elementary school, and we have a two-year-old crumb snatcher crawling around at home, walking around at home. We have school schedules to juggle, like you do. We have sports schedules to juggle, like you do. We have church schedules to juggle, like you do. Uh, I'm a full-time pastor while working my way slowly through graduate school. My wife is a full-time wife and mother who works two part-time businesses from home when she can to help make ends meet. Our days begin very early and we crash hard come that evening. But I'm choosing to disciple six guys in this church on a regular basis on biblical eldership because I believe in developing future leaders. I believe it's good for them, and ultimately, I believe it's good for the church. And Sally and I are committed to our young marrieds group, although we're not young or married, or we are married. Yeah. We're not young or newly married. <laughs> yeah. Whew. We're committed to that group because we believe in marriage and because maybe, maybe, maybe we've learned a couple of things that we can pass on and because we really love those six couples we meet with on a regular basis. And we're not complaining. Are we busy? Yes. Are there times we feel like we are too busy? Yes. But as we often remind ourselves, we chose this path. And we wouldn't trade it. And therein lies the point. We all make choices. We all make choices. And so I'm just asking you, as you make your choices, to consider how you might carve some time for relationship with others in the church during the week.
It's important. You can, would you consider joining a group, a Bible study, prayer group, a ministry team, a life group? Would you consider joining one that already exists or, or even hosting or starting a new one? As with any healthy relationship, community requires constant and personal investment. So make church attendance a priority. Sunday morning church attendance a priority. Continue in fellowship during the week. And then third and finally, encourage often. Encourage often. Perhaps nothing works against community more than a critical spirit. Few things deflate or upset my wife more than those occasions when I have come home from work with little regard for her day and start critiquing things around the house. What I'm communicating in those moments is that her day doesn't matter. That I don't care. And that I don't care to care. You know what I mean? Few things will deflate your children more than those moments when after cleaning their rooms, for example, you zero in on the one untucked bed sheet poking out from under the blanket while missing the fact that their toys are picked up and their bookshelves are neatly arranged and their clothes are folded and put away and the trash has been emptied and the carpet's been vacuumed. Because what you're communicating in those moments, even unintentionally with your children, is that they'll never be good enough. And as you continue down that road long, long enough, that relationship will suffer damaging effects. I suspect that nothing, honestly, You've heard that phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never hurt me. That's a lie. I, there are times I'd much rather have a stick or a stone. <laughs> I suspect that nothing takes the wind out of your sails like mistimed or unwarranted criticism. And on the other hand, nothing fills your sails like the fresh wind of genuine encouragement. Genuine, honest, sincere encouragement. So I'm asking you, church, to consider how you might encourage others in the church regularly. I'm asking you to look, to look for something you appreciate and encourage the person responsible. Write a note, shoot a text, send an email, make a phone call, or just tell them in person that you notice and you appreciate them. The Bible exhorts us to outdo one another in showing honor. And to encourage one another all the more as we await the return of Christ. And so never, never, never underestimate the power of encouragement and encourage often. Make Sunday morning church attendance a priority. Continue in fellowship during the week. Encourage often. What an amazing Exciting, monumental time described here in Acts chapter 2. The chapter begins, we didn't read this, but verses 1 through 41 just begins with all that God did before concluding with what the people did in response. They were, they were a community 
in community, devoted to the Lord and to each other by the grace of God. And I want that, more of that. We have that in part. We have that in part, in good parts. I I just want more of it, and I suspect you do too. So we, may we continue on in this devotion, pressing on in the Spirit, in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing, dear people, that in the Lord, in the Lord, your labor is never in vain. Amen. Amen. God, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for the... In many ways, this has just been like a a family living room conversation. And I thank you for the, just the, uh, the relationships that allow us to do that, to talk so openly and plainly around your word, what it means for us as a church. Thank you for the moments we were able to laugh together and think together and consider together. We look to you, God, because this is, the church is your creation, not ours. Community is your gift, not something we manufacture or strum up. So help us just to enjoy, to receive and enjoy this gift even more. Bless, truly, sincerely, will you bless us as a church and will you bless these dear people in their lives. I just I know that there are folks here this morning who are burdened by many things and there are others here who are excited about many things and that's life, that's the church. And so will you help us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn that we would love one another and bear one another's burdens when appropriate and necessary and We trust you to lead us on. O King Eternal. Amen.